There you go. Problem um, solved. So, Haley, how are you today? Good. How are you? I'm doing good as well. Thank you so much for asking how your day treating you. Great. Perfect. Well, welcome back. It is so awesome to have you here. And before we start, you know, we'll have to give you an epic intro super quick. So, take you go. Thank you. Thank you so much. Epic. I, now, starting with the whole Halloween special, tell me, what like what do you like most about Halloween? Um, I uh, I think I remember <laughs> the first thing I remember about getting as far as getting excited about Halloween was like having a massive list of costumes for my for my grandmother to make. Yeah. And realizing I could only do one every year mm. um, <laughs> and I, I was like I will age out of ho- of the concept of Halloween far before my grandmother will be able to fulfill all of these costumes Fair enough. and being being disappointed with that entire concept Fair <laughs> far <enough>. early <laughs> before most kids I think yeah yeah how cool now if you could be in any horror franchise at the moment, like any, which one you would choose? Oh my gosh. Um, that's funny that you mentioned franchises. Um, I I don't know if there's any like really strong ones at the moment. There's a no. lot of great being made right now. Um, I think there's a lot of great uh, cult, cults, uh, in like movies horror movies about cults are very popular mm-hmm. i don't know if you if, if you feel the same way but yes. um you know there's a, that's a really great uh topic that's being covered right now it's kind of the aspect of like social horror mm-hmm. like the aspect of like we already live in the horror movie um it, it's kind of like an offshoot of serial killer horror um but i feel like I, I, I'm one of the, I appreciate the original Saw movies. I think the, I think the, the franchise of Saw got out of control. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, but I, but I do, I think I do ultimately like the original Saw, uh, and the, and the concept of Saw. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, I'd be honored to be in it. That's good. (laughs) So, yeah. yeah. Love it. Love it. And if you could pick any costume for Halloween right now, which one you would choose? Um, I've always really wanted to do an authentic Wizard of Oz Dorothy concept, okay. like like the black and white included. Mm. Um, if I could do like a color version and a black and white version, that would be. I'd really like to be uh, authentically um, do an authentic hom- homage to to that to that to the Judy Garland version. Of of Dorothy. Love it. Love it. Alright. Well, any movie or TV show that you could recommend for Halloween? Halloween? Um, I, I feel like you can't do Halloween unless you do the Charlie Brown special. You Fair can't. enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, I think the Great, the Great Pumpkin is, is a special that you have to bring back every Halloween. I agree. And, uh, yeah, I'm gonna try to do this. Is my first Halloween owning property, and we're we're gonna try to do all all uh, orange. We're gonna go monochromatic. Do there all you go. orange. There you go. That's the spirit. That's the spirit. Well, 
Now, tell me, do you have any creepy story for me to today? The story? <laughs> I did pick out a story for us to read and go over. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite, uh, the, the more that I read, I, I used to read a, a lot of longer fiction in my younger years, and then I started to gravitate towards short fiction. And uh, Neil Gaiman is, um, I, I was torn between a Stephen, a Stephen King short story and a Neil Gaiman short story, both of, of whom are, are great writers in general, but of course they write great uh, suspense, thriller, horror short stories. Um, but I think ultimately I want to read you The Wedding Present by Neil Gaiman. All right. That's what I want to do. Let's go. Yeah, I love it. Uh, let's just jump into it. I don't want to give you any, any setup. I just, we'll just go right into it. Sounds like a plan. After all the joys and headaches of the wedding, after the madness and magic of it all, not to mention the embarrassment of Belinda's father's after-dinner speech, complete with the family slideshow, after the honeymoon was literally, although not yet metaphorically, over and before their new suntans had a chance to fade in the English autumn, Belinda and Gordon got down to the business of unwrapping wedding presents and writing their thank you letters. Thank yous enough for every towel and every toaster, for the juicer and bread maker, for the cutlery and crockery, and the teas made and the curtains. Right, said Gordon. That's the large ob object, thank you, and what have we got left? Things in envelopes, said Belinda. Checks, I hope. There were several checks, a number of them gift tokens, even a ten-pound book token from Gordon's Aunt Marie, who was poor as a church mouse, Gordon told Belinda, but a dear, who had sent him a book token every birthday as long as he could remember, and then at the very bottom of the pile there was a large brown business-like envelope. What is that? asked Belinda. Gordon opened the flap and pulled out a sheet of paper the color of two-day-old cream, ragged at the top and the bottom, with typing on one side. The words had been typed with a manual typewriter, something Gordon had not seen in years. He read the page very slowly. What is it? asked Belinda. Who is it from? I don't know, said Gordon. Someone who still owns a typewriter, and it's not signed. Is it a letter? Not exactly, he said, as he scratched the side of his nose and read it again. Well, she said in an exasperated voice. She wasn't really exasperated, she was happy. She would wake in the morning and check to see if she were still as happy as she had been when she went to sleep the night before, or when Gordon had been brushing up against her, or when she had woken him, and she was. Well, it. It appears to be a description of a book, he said. It's very nicely written. Here, read it. He passed it to me. She looked it over. It was a crisp autumn day in early October. Gordon, Robert Johnson, and Belinda Karen Abington swore that they would love each other. 
would support and honor each other as long as they both should live. The bride was radiant and lovely. The groom was nervous, but obviously proud, and just as obviously pleased. That was how it began, and it went on to describe the service and the reception clearly, simply, and amusingly. How sweet, she said. And does it say on the envelope? Gordon and Belinda's wedding, he said. No name? Nothing to indicate who sent it? No. Well, it was very sweet and very thoughtful, she said, whoever it's from. She looked inside the envelope to see if there was something else inside that they had overlooked, a note or something, to see whichever of her friends, or his, had written it. But there wasn't anything. Vaguely relieved to see that there was one less thank you note for them to write, she placed the cream sheet of paper back in its envelope, which she placed in a box file, along with a copy of the wedding banquet menu and the invitations, and the contact sheets for the wedding photographs, and one white rose from the bridal bouquet. Gordon was an architect, Linda was a vet. For each of them, what they did was vocation, not a job. They were in their early twenties. Neither of them had been married before, nor even seriously involved with anyone. They met when Gordon bought his brought his thirteen-year-old golden retriever Goldie, gray-muzzled and half-paralyzed, to Belinda's surgery to keep him down. He had had the dog since he was a boy and insisted on being with her until the until the end. Belinda held his hand as he cried. And then suddenly, and unprofessionally, she had hugged him tightly, as if she could squeeze away the pain and loss and grief. One of them asked the other if they could meet that evening in the local library, and afterward, neither of them was sure which of them had proposed it. The most important thing to know about the first two years of their marriage was this. They were pretty happy. From time to time, they would squabble, Every once in a while, they would have a blazing row about nothing very much that would end in tearful reconciliations, and they would make love and kiss away each other's tears and whisper heartfelt apologies into each other's ears. At the end of the second year, six months she came off the pill, Brenda found herself pregnant. Gordon bought her a bracelet studded with, studded with tiny little rubies, and he turned the spare bedroom into a nursery, hanging the wallpaper himself. The wallpaper was covered with nursery rhyme characters, like Little Bo Peep and Humpty Dumpty, and the fish running away with the spoon over and over and over. Belinda came home from the hospital with little Melanie in her carry card. Belinda's mother came home with them for a week, sleeping on the sofa in the lounge. It was on the third day that Belinda pulled out the box file to show her wedding souvenirs to her mother and to reminisce. Already, their wedding seemed like such a long time ago, and they smiled at the dried brown and once been a white rose, and clucked over the menu and the invitations. At the bottom of the box was a large brown envelope. Gordon and Belinda's marriage, read 
Belinda's mother. It's a description of our wedding, said Belinda. It's very sweet. It even has a bit about Daddy's little slideshow. Belinda opened the envelope and pulled out the sheet of cream paper. She read what was typed upon the paper and made a face. Then she put it away without saying anything. Can I see it, dear? asked her mother. I think it's Gordon playing a joke, said Belinda. Not in good taste, either. Belinda was sitting up in bed that night, breastfeeding Melanie, when she said to Gordon, who was staring at his wife and new daughter with a foolish smile upon his face. Darling, why did you write those things? What things? In the letter. The wedding thing, you know. I don't. It wasn't funny. He sighed. What are you talking about? Belinda pointed to the box file, which she had brought upstairs and placed upon the dressing table. Gordon opened it and took out the envelope. Did it always say that on the envelope? He asked. I thought it said something about wedding. And then he took it out and read the single sheet of ragged-edged paper, and his forehead creased. I didn't write this. He turned the paper over, staring at the blank side, as if expecting to see something else written there. You didn't write it? she asked. Really, you didn't write it? Gordon shook his head. Belinda wiped a dribble of milk from the baby's chin. I believe you, she said. I thought you wrote. You didn't. No. Let me see it again, she said. He passed the paper to her. This is so weird. I mean, it's, it's not funny. It's, it's not even true. Typed upon the paper was a brief description of the previous two years for Gordon and Belinda. It had not been a good two years, according to the typed sheet, at least. Six months after they were married, Belinda had been bitten in the cheek by Pekingese so badly that the cheek needed to be stitched back together, and it left a nasty scar. Worse than that, nerves had been damaged, and she had begun to drink, perhaps to numb the pain. She suspected that Gordon was revolted by her face, while the new baby, it said, was a desperate attempt to glue the couple back together. Why would they say this? she asked. They? Whoever wrote this horrid thing? She ran a finger across her cheek. It was unblemished and unmarked. She was a very beautiful young woman, although she looked tired and fragile now. How do you know it's a they? I don't know, she said, transferring the baby to her left breast. It seems sort of they-ish thing to do. To write that, and to swap it for the old one, and to wait until one of us read it. Come on, little Melanie, there you go. That's a good girl. Shall I throw it away? Yes. No! I don't know. I think she stroked her baby's forehead. Hold on to it, she said. We might need it for evidence. Or... I wonder if... I wonder if it's something Al organized. 
Al was Gordon's youngest brother. Gordon put the paper back into its envelope, and he put the envelope back into the box pile, which was pushed under the bed and more or less forgotten. Neither of them got much sleep for the next few months. What with nightly feeds and the continual crying, for Melanie was a colicky baby. The box file stayed under the bed, and then Gordon was offered a job in Preston, several hundred miles north, and since Belinda was on leave from her job and had no immediate plans to go back to work, she found the idea rather attractive, so they moved. They found a terraced house on a cobbled street, high and old indeed. Belinda filled in from time to time at a local vet's, seeing, seeing small animals and house pets. And when Melanie was 18 months old, Belinda gave birth to a son, whom they called Kevin, after Gordon's late grandfather. Gordon was made a full partner in the firm for architects. When Kevin began to go to kindergarten, Belinda went back to work. The box file was never lost. It was in one of the spare rooms at the top of the house, beneath a teetering pile of copies of the Architect's Journal and Architectural Review. Belinda thought about the box file and what it contained from time to time. And one night, when Gordon was in Scotland overnight, consulting on the remodeling of an ancestral home, she did more than think. Both of the children were asleep. Belinda went up the stairs into the undecorated part of the house. She moved the magazines and opened the box, which, where it had not been covered, it was thick with, with two years' worth of undisturbed dust. And the envelope still said Gordon and Belinda's marriage. And Belinda honestly didn't know if it had ever said anything else. She took out the paper from the envelope read it. And then she threw it away and sat there at the top of the house, feeling sick and shaken. According to the neatly typed message, Kevin, her second child, had never been born. The baby had been miscarried at five months, and since then, Belinda had been suffering from frequent attacks of bleak, black depression. Gordon was home rarely, it said, because he was conducting a rather miserable affair with the senior partner of his company, a striking but nervous woman, ten years his senior. Belinda was drinking even more, and affecting high collars and scarves to hide the spiderweb scar on her cheek. She and Gordon spoke little, except to argue about the small and petty things because they fear the big arguments, knowing that only the little things were left to be said, because the other things were too huge to be said without destroying both their lives. Belinda said nothing about the latest version of Gordon and Belinda's marriage to Gordon. However, he read it himself, or something quite like it, several months later, when Belinda's mother fell ill and Belinda went south for a week to help look after him. On the sheet of paper that Gordon took out of the envelope was a portrait of a marriage similar to the one Belinda had read. Although at present, his affair with his boss had ended badly, 
and his job was now in peril. Gordon rather liked his boss, but could not imagine himself ever becoming romantically involved with him. He was enjoying his job, although he wanted something that would challenge him more than it did. Belinda's mother improved, and Belinda came home again within a week. Her husband and children were relieved and delighted to see her. It was Christmas Eve before Gordon spoke to Belinda about the envelope. You've looked, too, haven't you? They had crept into the children's bedrooms earlier that evening and filled the hanging Christmas stockings. Gordon had felt euphoric as he had walked through the house and stood beside his children's beds, but it was a euphoria tinged with a profound sorrow, the knowledge that such moments of complete happiness could not last, that one could not stop time. Belinda knew he was what he was talking about. Yes, she said. I've read it. What do you think? Well, she said, I don't think it's a joke anymore. Not even a sick joke. Hmm, he said. Well, then what is it? They sat in the living room at the front of their house, with the lights dimmed and the log burning on the bed of coals that cast flickering orange and yellow lights around the room. I think it really is a wedding present, she told him. It's the marriage that we aren't having. It's all the bad things that are happening. But they're there on the page, not here our lives. Instead of living it, we are reading it, knowing it could have gone that way, but it never did. You're saying it's magic, then. He would not have said it aloud, but it was Christmas Eve, and the lights were low. I don't believe in magic, she said flatly. It's a wedding present, and I think we should make sure it's kept safe. On Boxing Day, she moved the envelope from the box file to her jewelry drawer, which she kept locked, where it lay flat beneath her necklaces and rings, her bracelets and her brooches. Spring became summer. Winter became spring. Gordon was exhausted. By day, he worked for clients, designing and liaising with builders and contractors. By night, he would sit up late, working for himself, designing museums and galleries and public buildings for competitions. Sometimes, his designs received honorable mentions and were reproduced in architectural journals. Belinda was doing more large animal work, which she enjoyed visiting farmers and inspecting and treating horses and sheep and cows. Sometimes she would bring the children with her on her rounds. Her mobile phone rang when she was in paddock trying to examine a pregnant goat who had, it turned out, no desire to be caught, let alone be examined. She retired from the battle, leaving the goat glaring at her across the field. She thumbed her phone open. Yes. Hello, darling. Guess what? Um, 
You've won the lottery. No. Close enough, though. My design for the British Heritage Museum has made the shortlist. I'm up against some pretty stiff contenders, but I, I am on the list. That's wonderful. I've spoken to Mrs. Fulbright, and she's going to have Sonia babysit for us tonight. We're celebrating. Terrific. I love you, she said. Now, now I've got to get back to the goat. They drank too much champagne over a fine celebratory meal. That night, in their bedroom, as Belinda removed her earrings, she said, Shall we see what the wedding present says? She looked. He looked at her gravely from their bed. He was only wearing his socks. No, I don't think so. It's a special night. Why spoil it? She placed her earrings in the jewelry drawer and locked it. Then she removed her stockings. I suppose you're right. I can imagine what it says anyway. I'm drunk and depressed, and you're a miserable loser, and meanwhile, we're... <laughs> well, I'm actually a bit tiddly, but that's not what I mean. It just... It just sits there at the bottom of my drawer, like the portrait in the attic of the picture of Dorian Gray. And it was only by rings that they knew him. Yes, I remember. We read it in school. That's why I'm really scared of it, she said, pulling on a cotton nightdress. That the thing on the paper is the real portrait of our marriage at present. And what we've got now is just a pretty picture. That it's real and we're not. She was speaking intently now, with the gravity of the slightly drunk. Don't you ever think it's just too good to be true? He nodded. Sometimes. Tonight, certainly. She shivered. Maybe, really, I am a drunk with a dog bite on my cheek, and you fuck anything that moves, and Kevin was never born, and all that other horrible stuff stood up, walked over to her, and put his arms around her. But it isn't true, he pointed out. This is real. You're real. I'm real. That wedding thing is just a story. It's just words. He kissed me, held her tightly, a little more. It was a long six months before Gordon's design for the British Heritage Museum was announced as the winning design, although it was derided in the Times as being too aggressively modern in various architectural journals and being too old-fashioned. And it was described by one of the judges in an interview in the Sunday Times as a bit of a compromise candidate, everybody's second choice. They moved to London, letting their house in Preston out to an artist and his family, for Belinda would not let Gordon sell it. Gordon worked intensively, happily, on the museum project. Kevin was six, and Melanie was eight. Melanie found London intimidating, but Kevin loved it. Both of the children were initially distressed to have lost their friends and their school 
Belinda found a time job at a small animal clinic in Camden, working three afternoons a week. She missed her cows. Days in London became months, and then years. And despite occasional budgetary setbacks, Gordon was increasingly excited. The day approached when the first ground would be broken on his missing. One night, Belinda awoke in the small hours. She stared at her sleeping husband in the sodium yellow illumination of the street lamp outside their bedroom window. His hairline was receding, and the hair at the back was thinning. And Belinda wondered what it would be like when she was actually married to a bald man. She decided it would be much much the same as it has always been. Mostly happy, mostly good. She wondered what was happening to them in the envelope. She could feel its presence, dry and brooding, in the corner of the bedroom, safely locked away from all harm. She felt suddenly sorry for the Belinda and Gordon trapped in the envelope on their piece of paper, hating each other and everyone else. Gordon began to snore. She kissed him gently on the cheek. He stirred and was quiet, but he did not wake. She snuggled against him and soon fell back into sleep for some time. After lunch the following day, while in conversation with an importer of Tuscan marble, Gordon looked very surprised and reached a hand up to his chest. He said, I'm frighteningly sorry about this. And then his knees gave way and he fell to the floor. They called an ambulance, but Gordon was dead when it arrived. He was 36 years old. At the inquest, the coroner announced at the autopsy that it showed Gordon's heart to have been congenially weak. It could have gone at any time. For the first three days after the death, Belinda felt nothing. A profound an awful nothing. She comforted the children. She spoke to her friends and to Gordon's friends, to her family and to Gordon's family, accepting their condolences gracefully and gently, as one accepts unasked-for gifts. She would listen to people cry for Gordon, which she had still not done. She would say all the right things, and she would still feel nothing. Melanie, who was 11, seemed to be taking it well. Kevin abandoned his books and computer games, sat in his bedroom, staring out of his window, not wanting to talk. The day after the funeral, her parents went back to the countryside, taking both the children with them. Belinda refused to go. There was, she said, too much to do. On the fourth day after the funeral, she was making the double bed that she and Gordon had shared when she began to cry, and the sobs ripped through her in huge, ugly spasms of grief, and she felt the tears fall from her face onto the bedspread. Clear snot streamed from her face, and she sat down on the floor suddenly, like a marionette whose strings had been cut, and she cried for the best part of an hour, for she knew she would never see him again.
she wiped her face. Then she unlocked her jewelry drawer and took out the envelope and opened it. She pulled out a cream-colored sheet of paper and ran her eyes over the neatly clipped words. The Belinda on the paper had crashed their car while driving drunk and was about to lose her driving license. She and Gordon had not spoken for days. He had lost his job almost 18 months earlier and was now spending most of his days sitting around their house in Salford. Belinda's job brought in what money they had. Melanie was out of control. Belinda, cleaning Melanie's bedroom, had found a cache of five and ten pound notes. Melanie had no explanation for how an 11-year-old girl had come by such money and had simply retreated to her room and glared at them, tight-lipped when pleased. Neither Gordon nor Belinda had investigated further, scared of what they might have discovered. The house in Salford was dingy and damp, such that the plaster was coming away from the ceiling in huge crumbling chunks, and all three of them were developing nasty bronchial coughs. Linda felt sorry for them. She put the paper back into the envelope. She wondered what it would be like to hate Gordon, to have him hate her. She wondered what it would be like to not have Kevin in her life, not to see his drawings of airplanes or hear his magnificently tuneless renditions of popular songs. She wondered where Melanie, the other Melanie, not her Melanie, but the there for the grace of God Melanie, could have got that money and was relieved that her own Melanie seemed to have few interests beyond ballet and the Enid Blyton books. She missed Gordon so much, it felt like something sharp being hammered into her chest, like a spike, perhaps, or an icicle made of cold and loneliness and the knowledge that she would never see him again once again. Then she took the envelope downstairs to the lounge, where the coal fire said that it gave a room life. She disliked coal fires, but she had lit one this evening out of routine and out of habit, because not lighting it would have meant admitting to herself on some absolute level that he was never coming home. Belinda stared into the fire for some time, thinking about what she had in her life, and what she had given up, and whether it would be worse to love someone who was no longer there, or not to love someone who was. And then, at the end, almost casually, she tossed the envelope into the coals, and she watched it curl and black watched the 
Soon the wedding present is nothing but black flames of ash which dance on the uptracks and were carried away like a child's letter to Santa Claus up the chimney and off into the fire. Belinda sat back in her chair and closed her eyes and waited for the scar to blossom. That was epic. Thank you. That yeah. is The Wedding Present by Neil Gaiman. Love it. Love it. Now, what can I say? I'm a little bit speechless now. How cool is that? I mean, at the end of the day, what can I say? I mean, that was, that was cool. It doesn't necessarily have a Halloween theme, but it's a very spooky um, kind of overall concept, and the ending kind of comes at you very fast. Yeah, yeah, I can totally agree on that. Yeah, well, I mean, at the end of the day, Ali, that was a very cool, awesome story. Um, definitely, if, if you can let uh, later, let, let me know, like, uh, like, yeah, if you can put like the author and everything later on so i can put it on the description for the youtube one and also on the on spotify on the spotify one so if you're watching this later on the youtube or if you listen this later on the podcast make sure that you follow that you're following angela in all of her social media somebody what i would say for you to put pause hydrate leave a like subscribe it takes one second and then go follow her leave a million likes uh share the content support her and then come back and again thank you so much for this amazing cool story i can wait for another epic story in the future And thank you so much. Keep having an amazing rest of the day, an amazing weekend, and I'll see you in the next one. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Happy Have a good one, okay? Bye. <laughs>